Happy Mother's Day and welcome to Vertical Church Online. Today, Pastor Brian's going to continue his series, The Real Life. Let's get started. Amen. So glad you've chosen to be with us here today at Vertical Church. We welcome you moms who have joined in as well. And uh, we're grateful that you're here. Also notice that Jeremy Bristow is here somewhere. Where's Jeremy? He's right back here. Yeah. So Jeremy, one of our uh, vertical folks here, uh, has finished his active duty with the Marines and now studying criminal justice. Right, Jeremy? Yeah. Welcome home. And we are grateful for you. Yeah. What a day. What a day to be the church in a world that needs a message of hope. Amen. Amen? You know, the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God. Let me say this one more time. The gospel is the power of God. I didn't say it contains the power of God, leads to the power of God. It is the power of God. Let me just read a couple of verses to reaffirm. Romans 1, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those being lost, but to us being saved, it is the power of of God. Doesn't contain, doesn't lead to, it is the gospel, the good news that a holy and just God is also good and that he would choose to reach and rescue us who were lost and without hope. Amen? Amen. That news comes and it does something. It energizes you. It gives you power. It gives you strength. It sets the captives free. It opens blind eyes. It heals those who are sick. It gives hope to those without hope. It is the power of God. Amen? The gospel is the power of God. It can bring peace to the mind that is troubled. It can bring rest to the mind that is tormented in fear. It can rescue those who are trapped, trapped in des- depression and anxiety. Amen? This gospel has the power to do that. The one who wrote those verses I just read to you was once a man who hated that news. He hated that gospel. He was religious, but he hated who Jesus was. He hated that message until one day Jesus himself appeared to that man on a road and radically transformed his life. And he became one who became the messenger of that very good news. He became the one who spoke this power of God. And one of the things that so radically transformed his life was that not just that he was changed, But he recognized that he had been handed this message. He had been given this power and now was responsible to share it with others. That changed his life. He used a phrase 10 times in his writings of the New Testament in which he said, 
that he had been entrusted with this good news. It had been given to him for a purpose. It had been given to him with a responsibility. It had been given to him as a sacred trust. It had been given to him as the power of God, and it was incumbent upon him to share that, to be responsible with it, to be a good steward with it. It was, it was on him, and it changed his life. Everywhere he went from that point on, he was different because he knew he had been entrusted with something, something sacred, with something powerful, something that was the treasure of heaven. It changed him. It changed everywhere he went. He picked up real life in that moment. R-E-A-L and R-E-E-L. He truly became one who fished for men though he was not ever a fisherman himself. We started our series last week, and we talked about what it means to be a fisher of men. And it really does begin with this idea of accepting the responsibility of holding this sacred treasure, of being handed the very power of God. You've been handed the most powerful thing in eternity. Just think about that for just a moment. The Bible itself said... This is the power of God. It alone has the power to change someone's heart, to take someone who's been bitter and angry and resentful and soften them so that they become forgiving and kind and merciful to others. It's the power of God. There's a lot of other things that God does, but this is the power of God. You and I have been handed the most powerful thing in God's arsenal. You have been handed the gospel. Just let that soak in today. You and I, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, have been entrusted with that from God. That'll change some things about how you live. So uh, when I was in high school... I got a job, my first job. I had just moved to Red Oak, and uh, it was a new day. Someone said, hey, come on down to this little convenience store in Red Oak. I'll introduce you to the owner. This guy had a job there. <clears throat> and so he did. He introduced me, and the, and the owner said, great, you can come work here. It was a store called The Totoway. You've heard me talk about The Totoway. There was one here in Ovilla, but there was one in Red Oak before there was one here in Ovilla. And I worked at the Totaway, and the entryway into the Totaway was racking bottles. Now, unless you live back in my day, you don't even know what a racking bottles is, but people throughout the day would take their bottles that they'd found on the street or that they'd bought and had a drink from or something, they brought it back, and you got money back for your bottle. You didn't just throw all the bottles away. You collected them, and you got money. Well, those had to all be put in the right places. The Coke bottles had to go in the Coke rack and the, the Dr. Pepper bottles had to go in the Dr. Pepper rack and you had to do that and, you had to, and they were all sticky and nasty sometimes filled with dirt and all kind of stuff. You know, Sometimes guys use them to spit their tobacco into. So you just had to rack all that stuff and I did. That's what you did when you first got into the Totoway and you mopped the floors. That's what you did when you first worked at the Totoway. But I worked there long enough, got to know the owner some and he, he finally came to me one day and said, I'm going to move you up to the register arrived. I'm finally going to work the register. I won't have to rack bottles. There'd be some other guys who would be coming in from high school who would be the bottle rackers. 
They would be the ones mopping. I would be the one saying, you need to go back there and rack them bottles, you know? <clears throat> so I got to be that guy who were working the register. They weren't electronic cash registers. They were the kind you had to push that button down. It was all manual, but we did it. Makes it sound like I'm 90 years old, right? <laughs> Working at the Totaway. Time passed, got to know the owner some more. He eventually let me open the store alone on Saturday mornings. Terrified me, but I did it. And then one day, he gave me something different in responsibility that absolutely floored me. So, develop some trust, show myself faithful. Every day at the store, there was, of course, money that was earned. There was a small safe in the floor, but he didn't like to use the safe. When he would get enough money collected, he would go to the bank in Red Oak and you would make a deposit. You'd take the checks that had been written that day, you'd take the cash that had been earned that day, and he took it to the bank. And one day, he asked me, to be the one to go take the offering to the bank. Not offering, I'm thinking church. <laughs> the prophets took the checks and the cash that had been earned and go to the bank. That alone was something. But what he did next was even more astounding to me because he reached into his pocket, he pulled out his keys, and he said, here, take my car. Really? Take your car? Yeah, and boy, be careful in that car. Let me show you what he had as a car. Yeah, there it is. You got me? We don't have it. It's coming. I'll, I'll describe it to you first. His name was N.L. Dickinson. The car he drove at the time was a 1978 red Lincoln with a white top. Oh, that looks really bad, whatever that is. With a red dash, red carpet, and all white seats. And he handed those keys to me. And I walked out there trembling to that parking lot. I was happy and I was terrified at the same time that he was entrusting me with his car. And I was going to drive from downtown Red Oak to Highway 35 to the bank representing him. I was going to be in his stuff. He was entrusting me with his treasure and his power. And I was humbled at that. I worked there for many years and had a great relationship with NL. Yeah. That wasn't the exact car, but that's a picture like it. And I was, oh, it was crazy. He had entrusted me with his treasure, it was responsibility. Today, I want to talk to you about real responsibility. 
what it means to have handed to us the treasure of God, the power of God. Because when I got in that car and I drove it, I knew I had better be careful how I drive. I wanted to be able to return that car to him looking as good as it did when I left. I didn't want to get a ticket in it. I didn't want to have an accident in it. I wanted to return it to him and prove myself faithful. We have been handed something far more powerful and glorious than a red 1978 car. Amen? We've been handed the very power of God. We have been given the power of God, and we are to be responsible with it. Last week we began our series, and we, uh, we met a couple of the disciples, Peter and Andrew, who were fishermen, who uh, by trade, by life, by training, knew how to catch fish. And, and I'll just say up front, we'll talk more about this as the series unfolds. They didn't fish like you and I fish. You and I, if we think about fishing, we think about fishing as something we do that's like, you know, something that's relaxing on the weekends. You know, hey, I got some free time. Let's go out and go fishing. Right? If you were a fisherman in the day we're talking about, it was not a relaxing hobby for the weekend. It was very hard work. You got up. You got your stuff. You inspected your net. You got out in the boat. You threw the net. You drug the net back in. You took the fish. You cast the net again. And you worked. You worked hard. This was how this, these men earned their living. And so last week, Jesus goes to these two men, Peter and Andrew, and he says, Hey, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Right now, your life is all about fishing for fish. I'm going to do something in your life that you will find hard to believe. I'm going to take you from men who, who live to just do their job to be men instead who live for the kingdom of God. I'm going to give you a new job. I'm going to give you a new thing. And when people ask you in time to come, hey, what do you do? Your first answer won't be, I'm a fisherman. Your first answer will be, I'm a fisher of men who happens to be a fisherman. We tend to have that backwards in our culture today. Us men especially, we like to give the title of the thing that we do on our job. And maybe if we feel comfortable, maybe if it's safe, maybe if we feel like we're going to get some applause for it, we mention that we happen to be a Christian as well. Uh Uh-oh. See, it was flipped for these men, but it was difficult. It's hard to make that transition for a man. Right, men? It's hard because when someone asks you, hey, what do you do? The first thing you want to do is tell them what you do for a living. That thing that makes you feel accomplished. That thing that brings in the money. That thing that says, this is who I am. This is what I do. And Jesus said, I'm going to change all that for you fishermen, and you're going to be fishers of men. And God is still in the process of doing that for us today. Amen? He's still doing that. So these two men, at the story as it ended last week, it said that they left their nets and they followed Jesus. Well, the gospel is very clear and God is very um, careful to tell the whole story. So today when we're going to meet them, we're going to meet them again. Some, a little bit of time has passed, not much. But guess where we find them? Fishing again. Not that there's anything wrong with fishing, but Jesus has said, hey, follow me, and I'm going to change who you are, what you do, what you're all about. And when we find them in the story today, they're back fishing again. 
Jesus is going to be teaching. Jesus is going to have crowds following. And here were these men who should have been with him. Instead, they're fishing. Instead of being where the kingdom was growing, they were trying to grow their own kingdom. Instead of being out here where lives were being changed, they were back here trying to change their own lives. Instead of being out here and giving and investing in what everybody was coming to hear what Jesus said, they were over here trying to put fish in the boat and take them home and care for themselves. And so Jesus meets them in this spot. I imagine it being just a little bit awkward. Jesus is walking up, crowds are pressing in, and he walks up and here they are. They're in their boats like, oh, no, here he comes. Let's pick up the story here in Luke chapter 5, and let's see what happened. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. You see, the multitudes are pressing in. They see him all there, and... There's a crowd. They're wanting to hear. Jesus is making disciples. Jesus is talking about the very power of heaven. Jesus is changing people's lives. People are wanting to hear more. There's been miracles that have happened already, and people want to get more of this. And here are these men who should have been with him, verse 2, and he saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Hmm. It's what fishermen did when they were done for the day. When you're done, you need to wash your nets. Stuff gets in them, debris, nasty stuff. You got to clean them because if you don't clean them, they'll smell. If you don't clean them, they won't be ready for catching the next day. If you don't clean them, they could rot. Cleaning the nets. Verse 3. Then he, Jesus, got into one of the boats which was Simon's, who also is known as Peter. And he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Hmm. Jesus just walks up. There's no record of him saying, hey, boys, you mind if I uh, borrow this boat? No, Jesus just goes over, gets in the boat. Hey, can y'all push out a little bit? I'm going to do some teaching here. I'm sure they were like, oh. Here he is. All right, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's get out here, let's go. I love this here because um, Jesus was a pretty smart acoustician. I don't know if you know what an acoustician is. They are someone who understands the properties of sound and how it travels. So, you know, sometimes people get down on churches day because they have sound equipment and lights to help us all see. But Jesus was an acoustician. And even though he didn't have a sure SM58 mic, he knew how to, uh, he knew how to take advantage of the land scenario and make sound work for him. Yeah. Jesus was about to use a sound system. Tech boys, you hear all that back there? Jesus, yes, thank you. You see, the crowd's pressing in. Jesus could have just backed up against the wall like, okay, okay, hey, everybody. It doesn't say that. It says instead he got into the boat. He had them push out a little bit because Jesus knew if he could get back a little bit out into the water, that when he spoke, his voice would reflect off of the water and spread to the crowd that was there. Pretty smart man, isn't he? 
Jesus knows all about what he created. And there's a whole lot more in scripture than what we sometimes understand. Amen. He sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. It's interesting that he sat down. You'd think you'd stand up, but he sat down because it puts your voice closer to the water to make it reflect off back to the people who are gathered all around the multitude that have gathered there. Mm. And Jesus is teaching them from the boat. Now what's happening here really, Jesus is obviously teaching the multitude, but Jesus is, he's teaching a class here for these guys, really. He's teaching a class for these disciples who, have, who were gathered there and said they were going to be following him, and they left their nets but didn't really follow him, and then now, they are, now they're in this situation, and Jesus gets into the boat, and they're all watching. Jesus is about to put all these boys in class all of a sudden. He's about to teach them about what it really means to fish for men. He had said he was going to make them fishers of men, but when Jesus tells you he's going to do something, he'll put you in class next to teach you how to do that. Amen? He's about to put these guys into class. They don't even realize what's happening here, and Jesus is going to take them to school. They push out. He teaches. Verse 4 says this, that when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, which is Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So just get the scene here. Jesus has been teaching The master teacher, acoustician, and master of hearts. He's speaking exactly what needs to be said to those who are listening. He finishes what he's saying. The crowd begins to go away. And then Jesus says to the disciples, which is Peter, Andrew, James, and John, as the passage will soon tell us, these four men. He says, hey, um, Peter, why don't you launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now again, from what they knew about who Jesus was, they had known he was a carpenter, and now he's a preacher. And here's the carpenter, preacher, telling the fisherman how to fish. Mm. He says, guys, do this. I know it's the middle of the day, I know you're done fishing because I saw you washing your nets. I know you've been out here a long time, but I want you to do something. I want you to launch out into the deep. And there I want you to put down your nets, and I want you to get ready for a catch. Now, the fishermen there in that day would have known, middle of the day, out in the deep, is not when and where you go to catch fish. Mm. Launch out into the deep, the deep. As fishermen, they would have known the better fishing area is up near the land. And he says, go out into the deep, put down your nets. I know it's middle of the day. And he says, I want you to get ready for a catch. Now, this is New King James word. I don't know what version of scripture you have, but you may have one that uses the word haul right there. It is the better word for it. See, you and I, we have a wrong idea of what it means for catching fish. We think in terms of, I caught a fish. Jesus would, I'm I'm afraid Jesus might have even just laughed at us, you know, if you say that, because 
Though in that day there were times you caught a fish, fishermen knew to have a catch meant you were going to catch a lot of fish, a lot. You use a net and you caught a lot of fish. And so when Jesus says, I want you to go out, I want you to put down your net, and I want you to be ready for a catch. When I say catch, I mean haul. We're going to get us some fish, a lot of fish. Jesus was saying, look here, guys, school's in session. I'm going to teach you something. But here's the first thing. You're going to have to go where you wouldn't think about going. You're going to have to go where I say go. Your fisherman training is going to tell you it only can work like this. But I'm telling you, we're going out into the deep. Mm. It's kind of one of the first things you're going to have to do if you want to be a fisher of men. You're going to have to let go of your own ideas about how it all works. You're going to have to surrender your own thoughts about who can be caught for the Lord and who can't be. You're going to have to surrender your ideas about whether someone has gone too far or you can't reach them or they can't even be reached. You're going to have to surrender all of that. And Jesus was teaching these guys a powerful lesson. Launch out into the deep. I know it's not where you normally go. Go where I say go. Let down your nets for a catch. I know it's not the same kind of day you normally go, but I want you to go. And, put, and get ready. I want you to be ready for a haul. Well, I don't know, Jesus. I mean, I don't think it's going to be that much. I mean, can't we scale this whole thing back here? This operation just seems a bit too much. But if you're going to fish for men, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to surrender your own thoughts about what could happen or what has happened in the past and be ready to do what he says is going to happen. Amen? Amen. You're going to have to unlearn some things. You're going to have to let go of some of your doubts. You're going to have to let go of your own logic. You're going to have to let go of your opinion because real responsibility, real responsibility, R-E-E-L responsibility, goes where Jesus says go, does what Jesus says do, and is ready for a big old catch. Are you with me so far? This is real responsibility. Verse 5. But Simon, Peter, it's really funny in scripture, his name is um, Peter, Simon Peter, and when he's, uh, when he's kind of acting out of who he used to be, before he met Jesus, Jesus called him Simon. When he's doing what he ought to be doing, he gets referred to as Peter, right? But Simon answered and said to him, Master... I don't know what the tone of voice is here, but you know, it could be one of these whiny guys. I hope not. Master, we've toiled all night long and caught nothing. I hope it wasn't that. It might have even just been kind of an angry thing. Master, dude, we have we toiled all night and we have caught nothing. Nothing. But he does the right thing. He says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Good job, Peter. Good job, Simon. You're well on your way to becoming Peter. I am not a fisherman. I just I told you that last week. This look right here, this is academy. This is not a me. Right? In this series. <laughs> in this series, I'm going to fish. I'm gonna to try to catch a fish or two. It's not naturally me. 
you may say, it's not naturally me to be a fisher of men. That's okay. I'm not a fisher of fish, but I'm going to learn to be. And we are going to learn to be fishers of men. Amen? Amen. So, I don't know a lot about fish, but I've met a lot of people. And I've talked to a lot of people. And there are times I talk to some people. And I listen to them. I observe them. And it would be easy for me to conclude, I don't see how in the world that man is ever going to change. Hello? You ever met someone like that? You might even say, I've been praying for her forever. And I'm still not seeing anything change in her life. You may have a child. Maybe a grown child. Maybe a family member. You've been praying and praying and praying and waiting. And you haven't seen the change yet. And you keep trusting God. But it gets difficult. Because when you haven't seen the change, it's easy to want to stop fishing. It's easy to want to just give up. It's easy like Simon to say, Now, Master, we've been out there. We fished all night. We got nothing. Nothing. Nothing has come of this. Why would we want to go out there again? Why would you want us to go to a spot that we know by our experiences tell us there's no fish there? Why would you want us to do that? And why would you call us to go out with the expectation that we're going to get a haul when we didn't even get a bite, a net, a nothing? And Jesus says, go where I go, do what I say, and be ready for a haul. Amen? This is what we do. Now, I've been to Academy. I have ventured over to the fishing area recently. Usually, we're over in the running shoe area, for Heather's sake. Usually, we're over in the grill section, for my sake. Rarely do I go in the fishing section until Nick came along. <laughs> and then we started going in the fishing section. And... When this series came along, I thought, I better go see what's over there. Because I need to figure out what's going on. And I go over there, and I see some things I'm familiar with. Bobbers, some lures, some, a few lures. There's hundreds of lures there. And then all of a sudden, there's something that's set up on display that costs hundreds and thousands of dollars. They are fish finders. They are these devices that look like oversized iPhones and computer screens that have sonar built into them that you can put on your boat, go out into the lake, pond, whatever you got, and if you know how to read it, you can see what's on the bottom, you can see the depth, you can see where there's little fish, and you can see where there's big fish. I thought, man, they're cheating these days. 
It's not all the same as just throwing a bobber out there and just staring at that thing for an hour. Just, did it, did it move? Did it? No, no, just the wind. I, and that's what I grew up doing. And it wasn't even this. It was the cane pole, I told you. You know, it was that. Fish finders. Sonar. So I thought, I need to find out some more about this. YouTube. That's where you go if you want to learn something these days. Go to YouTube, and there's plenty of people who will help you know what the fish finders do, all about them. So I'm watching these videos, and there's a guy, and he goes out in his boat, and he's just showing you everything about it. But he makes it clear. It's a very important point. He says, the sonar and the fish finder can only tell you what's there right now. Just right now. In fact, once it has read it and you've processed it in your mind, that fish is probably not even there anymore. But it was in the area. It's close. And it means it's near. It's under you. And if you're going to fish for it, that's what you got to do. You got to look near. But it can't tell you what had been or what's going to be. It can only tell you what's in the moment. But Jesus is a lot better fisherman than that. He's better than any sonar. He's better than any fish finder. Because Jesus has the ability to know when fish are going to be in a certain place at a certain time and to put these fishermen in the exact spot where they're going to be and to put down their net at the right time so those fish would swim right up into that net. That's different than a fish finder. That's Jesus knowing where the fish are going to be and putting you on an intercept course for it. When Jesus starts making fishers of men, woo, stay with me right here, and God puts something on your heart, and he says to you, I want you to call this person. And you say, why would I want to call that person? Jesus says, because I want you to call that person. And you say, well, I've called that person before, and I didn't catch anything the last time I called him. Nothing came of it. In fact, I kept trying to bring up spiritual conversations. They weren't having it. We caught nothing that day. And Jesus says, I want you to go again. Call them. Go to their house. Sit down. Have coffee. Send them a text. Get together. Because when Jesus says go, he knows what's below the surface. He knows what's below the surface. He knew where those fish were going to be. That day he sent the disciples out and said, drop your net here. He knew in advance. When Jesus puts it on your heart to call someone, talk to someone, have a conversation with someone, he has already known what was going on below the surface in their heart. And he has sent you to be there in that moment, a sacred intersection of their need with the word he's put in your mouth. Amen? This is what he does. If you're going to be in the Fishers of Men school, you got to learn this. It's not all about where you go and what you think and what you've done. It's about going where he says, even if you've been there before, and you go back because he can know and knows what's below the surface. Amen? Amen? So, have you ever had one of those moments where you called somebody 
You went to their house, you invited them to coffee, and you sat down, and you started talking, and you prayed, and you said, okay, Lord, I don't know why I'm here, but here goes. And you opened the door in the conversation to bring God into it, and in that moment, it became obvious that they needed this conversation because they even said to you, this is amazing that you've called me because here's what's going on in my life right now. Have you ever had that happen to you? Have you ever had this happen to you where bills are mounting up, things are a struggle, and you walk out to your mailbox and you open the mail and there is a check? you were not expecting, and it is for the amount that you had a need for? Anybody in the room ever had that happen? Look around, look around. Thank you. Anybody ever been at a place yourself personally where you were just kind of crying out to God saying, God, I need something today. I don't even know what it is, but I need you and all of a sudden, you got that phone call. You got that visit. And someone showed up, and it was exactly what you needed in that moment. Has that ever happened to anybody in this room? Yeah. Please look around. See? Woo! Jesus knows what's below the surface. He knows what's below the surface and where the fish are. And he knows what's below the surface in, in the hearts of men. And he knows when he calls you to go that there's a reason, that there's a purpose because that need is there and you're going to intersect it with his truth and you're going to be the one who speaks hope to them. Yeah. I remember being at a place in my college years and I was still struggling to figure out this whole faith thing and I was on staff at a church and we gathered before the service to pray and I remember going into that prayer time and I was filled with so much tension and fear in my life at that moment. I've told you some of those stories. And it was kind of the custom when the staff got together for everyone to pray. And I didn't even feel like praying that morning. I was so tense, so bottled up, so nervous, so just in a bad spot. And people in the room started praying. And I was trying to just say something to God. And all I could get to come out of my heart, it didn't come out of my mouth, it was just in my heart. I just said, God, I am so afraid. The prayer started moving around the circle. It got to one of the persons there. And that person began their words with this. God, for some reason right now, the thing that's on my heart is the word fear. I just about fell over. And I all of a sudden got very attentive to what that man was praying. And it, in that moment, God spoke truth to me comforted me, reassured me, and the fact that he met me like that right there in that moment to say that word at that time has affected me ever since and obviously still has to this day. When God tells you to launch out into the deep 
and put down your nets and get ready for a haul, you and I need to do that. We don't need to say, oh, Lord, I've talked to them before. Lord, that ain't, I don't think that's going to do anything. Lord, I don't know. I just don't think that's going to happen. If God puts it on your heart, he not only knows you, but he knows them. He knows what's below the surface. So obey when he says go. Verse 6 tells us what happens next in the story. It says that when they had done this, when they did exactly what Jesus said, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. Ooh, they couldn't even contain it all. Verse 7. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. That's a lot of fish. That's not just one honking catfish. It's a whole bunch of fish. More than one boat can hold. More than two boats can hold because now they're starting to sink. It was more than they could have imagined. This is what God loves to do. Take your response of obedience and faith, however small it is, even if it makes you say, Lord, I've been there before, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Not my faith, not my fear, but your faith in me be done. And they did it. And the hall came. You want to see a hall happen. You got to give up your ideas about when to go, where to go. You got to know that and trust him that he knows what's below the surface and you have to be ready for the haul. Verse 8. When Simon Peter, look at that. It didn't say just Simon. When Simon Peter saw it, come on Simon, you're doing good. You're becoming Simon Peter. When he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O oh Lord. In this moment, he was all of a sudden overwhelmed. Jesus knew more than the fishermen. Jesus knew more than what they knew. Jesus showed himself strong. Jesus showed up in a miraculous way. And Peter is undone. The next part of verse 10 says, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. They all of a sudden were undone. Lord, you knew. You were right. You do know what's beneath the surface. You do know when to fish. You do know where to go. And they were completely overwhelmed. It might be that in your life you think, you know, I'd love for God to use me like that. I'd love to see that kind of stuff happen in the lives of people. But man, I have really messed stuff up in the past. I've said the wrong thing, said it at the wrong time, broken the relationship. I don't know that I could ever go back. I don't know that I could repair it. And you might find yourself a little bit like Peter in this situation. Jesus, I am a sinful man. I have no business being on this boat. 
I have no business being here with you. You alone know, and I don't. And even when I tried to exert my opinion into the situation, it was a complete and utter failure. I love what happens next. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Simon, do not let your failures in the past stop you from being a fisher of men in the future. I will make you one who knows how to fish for men. Don't let what happened here just a few minutes ago, what happened here a week ago, what caused you to go back to fishing instead of following me to begin with, don't let that stop you. You come and follow me and I will make you into a fisher of men. You will start to catch men. You will be the one who's setting the captives free. You will be the one going and bringing the very power of God to people today who need it. Peter, I'm going to use you, but you have to follow me. Peter, your sin is covered. Peter, I love you. And Peter, I've called you to follow me. Don't let the fact that you have a past, don't let the fact that you didn't believe me before, don't let the fact that you distrusted me Don't let the fact that you sin greatly stop you from looking and listening to me. Peter, I am handing to you that which is sacred. I'm handing to you that which is the treasure of heaven. Peter, I am handing to you the power of God. In other words, Here are the keys, Peter. Go to the bank for me. Mm. I don't know where you are in this story today. I find myself in it. I'm sure you do in some ways. I find us as a church here in the story as well. And I told you about something we're going to do last week. And here it is this week. So we're going to do it. Um. You're about to be given something from our ushers that's a card. Ushers, go ahead and let's get those going. The card looks like this. We're calling it your dream catch list. Every fisherman I hear has kind of in their mind this idea of some fish they'd like to catch. Something they'd love to sometime in their life see caught. My guess is that as followers of Jesus Christ in all of our lives, there are some people that you have been praying for, some people who need some hope, some people who need new life, some people who need to be caught, some people who need to be set free. Maybe they're not in church. Maybe they don't even know the Lord. Maybe they do, but they haven't been active and they need, they need something fresh. I'm asking you to take this card and pray And on it, list five people that you are praying for, that you are praying God will work in, that you are praying God will do something fresh in. And even more specifically, that they would attend a service here.
Hmm. Because I know we all have people in our lives that we could say, well, I've got this, this cousin that lives in Alabama. I've been praying for them. That's awesome. You should. But we're in a pond right here. We got this lake that we're in, and Jesus calls us to fish in it. And we got people we know right here. So I'd ask you to pray for five people. Put them on your list. This is for you only. You don't have to bring this back to the church. We're not going to check up on you. This is for you and God. Let him show you who's on your dream catch list. Begin praying for them. Begin praying for God to work in their heart. And then begin praying for an opportunity to invite them here. To be a part of what God is doing here. Maybe at some time over the next two months, that would be awesome. But specifically, I would encourage you, our staff would encourage you, to pray and invite toward one specific day, the last day of this series in June. We're calling that Big Catch Day. Here's what's going to happen on that day. On Big Catch Day, I'm going to have a message and we're going to answer the question, what is the biggest catch that you can make in life? Or what are the biggest catches you can make in life? And then we're going to give away a gift card on that day. So guys and gals who enjoy fishing, even if you don't, go fish during this month, two months. Go fish. Whoever can catch the biggest fish during this time, on that day, we will hand to them a $100 gift card to Academy. All right? And so here's what you need to do. When you catch that fish on Big Catch Sunday, do we have our, our slide that goes with that, Big Catch Sunday? So when you catch that fish, take a picture of that fish, make it a selfie so you're in it. All right? Don't drop your phone in the lake when you do that. <laughs> take a picture of you and the fish. In the picture, be making a vertical V. That way we know it's from now. Not 17 years ago when you caught it, all right? I don't want to see that thing. That's got to be now. Let's give us some perspective. You know, don't, don't hold the fish here and the phone here. Make it look like it's, you know, 20 inches long. Don't do that. Make it real. Let us see what it really is. And we'll do that that day. It's kind of a fun thing. We'll be calling that Big Catch Sunday. But I'm praying for not just a catch of fish, I'm praying for a catch of souls, amen? Yeah. That the gospel, the power of God, changes lives here in this place because this is what you and I are called to as fishers, amen? Back to the story, and we'll finish up today. Verse 11, it says, So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. <laughs> the first time it said they left their nets, this time, they forsook all. They said, all right, we're in. I get it, Jesus. You know what we don't know. You know what's below the surface. You're going to do a work in our hearts. You're going to do a work in others' hearts. And the only way that can happen is if we follow you. I love what it says here. It says, they brought their boats to land. That's how you kind of end the deal. If you had been a fisherman and you're going to end it, you got to bring your boat back to land. you got to bring it back and just leave it there and get out of it. Like, all right, I'm done. What's your boat today? 
What's your boat that you need to bring to land and get out of it? Is it your fear? Is it your guilt? Is it your own ideas? Is it your pride? Is it you just living for your own comforts? And today you're hearing the gospel, you're hearing the power of God, and it's at work in you, and you say, I, I gotta get out of this boat. I can't, I can't stay any longer. I gotta bring my boat back to land. I gotta get out of this. Because if I don't get out of it, I'm not gonna catch anything for Christ. I'll keep catching fish, but I won't catch men. I'm praying that God does work in us individually, but also as a church throughout this whole process. That we get out of the boat of our comfort, get out of the boat of what we've known, get out of the boat of this all being about us, get out of the boat of what's been our pattern and start looking at the fish that need to be caught in our area. There are people today who are sitting home this morning and they're broken inside. They're desperate inside. They may not have told anybody. They may not have breathed a word to anybody, but they're crying on the inside and they're waiting for someone to come to them and give them a word of hope. That person is you and me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together this morning. I'm confident God's at work this morning, that he's speaking, that he's calling us. He's calling us to be fishers of men. He's calling us to leave what we've known. He's calling us to change our priorities. He's calling us to change what we even call ourselves. He knows what's below the surface in the hearts of others. He knows when... We need to launch out to go where we haven't gone, to say what we've never said. And he waits for us to say, I'll go. Father, this morning you are working, you're moving, you're touching, you're changing, you're calling us out. You're even putting people in our minds right now who are in a place where they need you. They need a new word. They need hope. They need life. They need to be set free from their grave of hopelessness, of anger, of resentment. They need to be resurrected to life, and you alone, by the power of the gospel, can bring them to life. And you call us as your children, your people, your servants, to be the ones entrusted with that power to go. So, Lord, I pray you will give every one of us five. Five to pray for. Five to go to. Five to invite that they might be set free. We come to surrender our will this morning, Father. Speak to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing. I want you to keep this fresh in your heart and mind, though. Who is the five? Who are the five? Who are the five?
What an incredible sermon. What miracles can Jesus perform in your life by obeying His vision and letting Him change you? We'll see you next week live at 1030.